0: Hey everybody, Scott Burnside here, another episode of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. Uh, I feel like now this show is like a pair of slippers. I feel very comfortable sliding into it. I know Pierre Lebrun, it looks like some workers may not be hard at work yet in Toronto as we're taping this uh, around 9 o'clock in the morning. So Pierre, good, we'll try and take advantage of the quiet. And today, a special treat as we head into the second half of the NHL season. Now he's been biding his time, very patiently waiting for the call to come and join us, Arthur Staple, our man. I was going to say on the island, but you're everywhere now. You're sort of on the island when the Islanders play there, you're in Brooklyn when they play there, you're on the road with the Islanders, but Arthur, it is grand to have you aboard here. Welcome. It's delightful to be here, Scotty. I'm I'm really excited. Well, listen, before we get to the Islanders, which may they may be one of the, and I'm using my air quotes here, they may be one of the stories uh, as we head into the second half of the NHL season. But I just want to know, because it's been a while since you and I've hung out on the road together, and I just wonder if you sort of changed your attitude toward the whole... Jukebox, come mantra, the jukebox society, and uh, you know whether you've sort of opened your mind, you know, to listening to artists, you know, like Edie Brickell or Peter Gabriel, and whether if you sort of just become a more gentle, kindler, kinder person than than I've known you to be in the past.
1: Well, I'll have you know, Scotty, that Edie Brickell and her husband Paul Simon are neighbors of mine. They live in the next town over from me. So, well, la dee da, um, yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to, po- I'll have to just say that uh, if any either of us uh, has uh, has greater respect for Edie Brittell, I'd have to say it's me because you know sometimes I might see her taking out the trash or at the corner store, and you were just you know programming songs of hers into random jukeboxes around North America. So um, uh, let's just uh, let's just say that I have a I have a healthy respect for her. And her music, uh, I just choose not to listen to it when I'm out having a good time. Okay.
0: Huh? Okay. Well, that's <laughs> it. I, I'm a live and let live kind of guy. I just wanted to, you know, wanted to get you, that out there you because sometimes that. I am. So, and Pierre and I have spent a lot of time <laughs> huddled around jukeboxes around North America and beyond. Uh, and I, you know, we're we're pretty sensitive to the whole jukebox culture, and uh, just want to make sure that we're all like we, we should all get along. I think that's the that's really that's the message I'm trying to bring here sure, uh, but let's... I,
1: I have a sorry I have a healthy yeah.
0: respect also for, for piers uh, jukebox
2: musical tapes but um... ah thank you Arthur thank you <laughs> do uh, I, I believe Scotty's supposed to say duly noted now so we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna be in San Jose next week for all- star and uh, as usual there will be a battle of
0: wills over the song selection between Scotty and I yeah, that's it but I Absolutely. but I have the I have the app, and Pierre doesn't know how to work an app. So there, I think I've got is, to I link up. That's true. Um, but actually, this is a good sort of segue, because at some point this spring... Uh, we may be gathering. There's parts of our, certainly our athletic hockey playoff coverage team may be gathering in a place I would never have imagined we would be gathering in the spring. And that is at Barclays or uh, some other Eastern Conference city to watch the New York Islanders play playoff hockey. And I got to tell you that uh, they may be one of the most confounding teams to me. And I was just looking before we started taping, Arthur, that you know, right now they are, uh, they have 56 points. Uh, They were plus 18 in the goal differential, which is uh, tied for first in the Metropolitan Division. They're three points back of both Columbus and Washington. Um, They, you know, their power play isn't very good. Their penalty kill is meh. They're middle of the road in goals scored per game. They do, they are tied for the league lead in goals allowed per game. And, I'm just curious about what your expectations were when you came into training camp and Barry Trotz arrived and John Tavares, as Barry Trotz was coming in one door, John Tavares was going out the other. And I wondered if you thought at the midpoint of the season, I wonder where the Islanders will be. Is this where you thought they would be very much ensconced, not just in the playoff uh, spot, but but really a, a team that could, you know, depending on how things go, certainly not beyond the pale to suggest they could win the Metropolitan Division outright.
1: Yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm certainly not alone in saying that uh, I didn't think they'd be anywhere close to where they are right now. And, um, you know, I think not just losing Tavares, what kind of emotional and blow and on ice blow that was, but, but they had a big, you know, it was a big Titanic sized ship to turn around. Uh, there were definitely some good pieces still, even without Tavares that uh, that snow left in place, but, um, you know they were they gave up the most goals of any team in a decade last year. Uh, I, I just didn't see how they could make such a quick turnaround with essentially the same personnel. You know that Tavares is gone, Calvin Dahan is gone, Yara Halak is gone, and, and the guys that they brought in were certainly not people that anyone thought um, would be leading the charge. So yeah, it's uh, it's a testament to what Barry Trotz has been able to do from from day one and and what sort of stability he he brings to a team that's hasn't had an experienced coach like him, and maybe ever. Maybe, you know, Al Arbor was a four Family Cup winning coach, but he wasn't that when he got here. So, um, that's, uh, that's an incredible transformation. And, and I think the guys that, that Barry brought with him, Wayne Lambert, who does a lot of the heavy lifting for him, and Mitch Korn, who, uh, the goalie whisperer, who's got Robin Leonard playing like a Vesna Trophy candidate. And, uh, you know, that's not a sentence I thought I would say before this season either. So, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of genuine surprises uh, having to do with this team, and I think a lot of it begins and ends with uh, with Barry Trotz coming in. Yeah, I, I would think, Arthur. I mean, it, you know, we've got lots of
2: hockey to be played here, but easily the two biggest surprises in the East so far this year are the Islanders, I think, at one, and Montreal at two, given their expectations for both teams entering the year. So that would automatically put Barry Trotz and Claude Julien, I think, in some Jack Adams Jack Adams consideration. Although, as a side note, I love. This always makes me chuckle. John Cooper's probably going to end up with 125-plus points for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I won't get a vote for Jack Adams. But <laughs> it's, always, it's always funny how people vote on the Jack Adams. But what I wanted to get to with the Islanders, though, is it's what's fascinating to me is Lou Lamorello takes over. <clears throat> and, you know, the normal course for a veteran GM when he to- takes over a team, If you, if you take over a team, it's because someone's disappointed, right, that that change is needed. And it just so happens that this is a roster uh, full of pending expiring contracts. And so the opportunity is there for Lula Amorello to bring change. And yet, why would you want to bring a whole lot of change to a team that is succeeding? So what's your take on that in terms of an interesting decision or decisions ahead for Lula Amorello in the offseason?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know, uh, I think it's been said many times. You could uh, you could go broke betting on what you think Lou Amarillo is going to do, and that's mm-hmm. going back three decades or so. So I'm not certainly uh, not going to think that I knew anything, but I, but certainly when he came in, the way that he talked and uh, you know leaning into the draft, the, seemingly the goal was to to get a number one goaltender through a trade through free agency, um, wasn't able to do that, and ended up kind of. <laughs> Me, consolation prize with Robert Leonard uh, on a on a one year prove it deal after all of his uh off season struggles that he chronicled for us in the athletic. Mm-hmm. Um and then, you know, not really committing to any of those uh those other guys that have been here a little bit with uh Andrews Lee, Brock Nelson and, and Jordan Everly has been here a little bit less, uh, uh to kind of wait to on uh, what the season was gonna look like. And and really I think um Maybe the tide started to turn a little bit when they put the sea on Anders Lee's chest right before opening night in Carolina. That sort of said to me, um, "This is a guy they want to keep around," and and I think uh, you know, spending uh, even as uh, little time as training camp as Barry Trotz did around Anders Lee, understands well, a lot of people understand that that this guy is a natural born leader, and, and is certainly, you know, maybe the skill uh, isn't as elite as some some guy like John Tavares, but uh, but he'll make a good captain, and I think that that sort of Said early on that he's someone that they're, they're not looking to, to move out. Um, when it comes to Nelson and Everly, um, still not much traction there in terms of contract toxic teams, or if, if anything. Um, but again, like you said, why would you move them uh, if the market for a pending free agent, you know, wing like Jordan Everly uh, is going to be pretty crowded, as it seems, since there's lots of teams out there that probably want to sell. Would it be worth getting a third round pick or? third and a second back for him, um, and then happen to fill that hole on a team that might be headed to the playoffs. It, mm-hmm. it, it seems like uh, the patience that Lou has shown with these free agents is maybe not paying off in terms of drumming up business, but it's paying off in terms of producing a decent team and maybe thinking differently about the future with the guys that they have here right now.
2: Yeah. And, and he's had an interesting history, Lou, where he, he hasn't, uh, been swept up by the by the historical trend of teams wanting to get asset value back for pending UFA's. Um, I mean, just last year he was GM of the Leafs and 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 kept JVR and Tyler Bozak because the Leafs are playoff bound. And obviously those guys left for free agency. But in the it, you know in the cap era, cap space found is cap space found. So the Leafs obviously used that cap space to sign John Tavares. Not to remind any of our Islanders listeners here, but. um so I, I think I don't know why he would move Jordan Everly to your point. If the, the only Islanders have a chance to do something here, if he if they can't sign him after the season, so be
0: it. It's not the end of the world in my books. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah, Arthur, yeah, you, 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 we made uh, passing reference a, a couple times to Robin Leonard and. um you know, you referenced the piece that he wrote for us in The Athletic early on and uh, a very personal uh, examination of his own issues with alcohol and drugs and and where he was at personally and emotionally, all those kinds of things. And, you know, it, I, you know not to overstate it, but it I, takes a, a high level of bravery and, and courage, I think, to as a pro athlete to make those kinds of, of comments, and especially a player who's just now coming into a new team and all those kinds of dynamics. And I, I wonder what you've maybe seen from Robin Leonard on and off the ice in terms of his personality and, and maybe sort of spinning forward. I mean, is there a sense, you know, could he be the goalie that this team is, has been looking for? And as, you know, as we're chatting here, he leads the NHL with a 216 GAA. Uh, he has been everything and more than they could have hoped for. Where, how does he fit into this, do you think? You know that's uh, that's
1: a big question, certainly with all the, the news that came out of Columbus this past week with Sergei Bobrovsky and mm-hmm. and sort of you know, you know his incident incident uh, seemingly cementing his departure from there and, and Pierre and plenty other of other reporters have, have connected the dots between the Islanders and Sergei Bobrovsky. only get the July one, um, but you know Robin Leonard, uh, if you can get him. For half the term and half, you know, maybe less than half the cost of what Bobrovsky's looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a bit younger. He's uh, he's seemingly rejuvenated by the the turnaround in his in his personal life. Um, he's handling it well. You know that stuff. Obviously, we all know people that that struggle with that with addiction, and and it's a day to day fight. But he seems to be handling it and handling his uh, his professional business incredibly well. And and a lot of times, uh, you know, I, I'd always heard in his previous steps, he's a very candid guy, he 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 loves to kind of assess uh, the situation with a team and speak very bluntly and freely. And he's maybe not quite as blunt as he used to be, but he speaks his mind. And he's very, um, he seems very introspective this year. All the conversations that I've had with him, whether about uh, a story that I wrote early in the year about his first road trip when we were out in California for a week and what kind of mm-hmm. uh, you know how you have to handle that, uh, you know, being sober and, and trying to stay sober in addition to Leaving the the pro athlete lifestyle, um, and just or just talking about his game. We're sitting in the locker room. He and Leo Komarov have a uh, love to volley the uh, the troops back and forth across the Islanders dressing room. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, I just think the way that he's fit in too. Um, I imagine that you know, with him and his and his family, he's got a couple of young kids and his wife on Long Island. They fit in really well. Uh, I would imagine he would want to stay, uh, and maybe that leads you to. Uh, you know, a, maybe a discounted deal versus what you might get with a guy with his numbers on the open market. So, yeah, I, I'd have to think there's a, there's a future for him here, and if he pl- continues to even, you know, this is above what I think he could do long-term, but if he's a if he's a 9, 18, nine, percentage goaltender, that's better than the Islanders have had, gosh, for ever. Um <laughs> Barry Charles, this is new territory for this organization that's struggled for you know, since Billy Smith hung him up to find a goalie that can handle a, a real workload and be a guy that's reliable. So, um, yeah, I, I imagine that the, the seduction of a guy like Bob on uh, on July 1 is uh, is tempting, but if you've got a guy here who you took a chance on and is rewarding that chance with uh, with a fantastic season, uh, why wouldn't you commit to him a little bit more in the long term and then look at your other options uh, down the road? Yeah, no, it's, it's an excellent
2: point. I, you know, I texted with you yesterday, Arthur, before I wrote my Bobrovsky update, and, and I made sure to mention just that about Robin Leonard. It certainly would make, because the Islanders have always seemed like this July 1st frontrunner for Bobrovsky, but now I'm not so sure. Um, you know, unless Lou Amorello thinks having both in the fold, Leonard and Bobrovsky, would give him the ultimate one-two punch, but I don't know how realistic that would be. So we'll see. I mean, I, I always think that w- one of the tough things about predicting July 1st is that the playoffs tend to, completely rewrite a lot of scripts in terms of what teams are going to look to do. So I predict that we're going to have a team we're not even thinking about because they currently have a pretty good goalie that's going to decide they need a new goalie by the end of this year. So uh, so there's so much to play out when it comes to Bobrovsky in July 1st. Um, yeah, but sure. sure. Was, but, but, go ahead, Arthur.
1: <clears throat> Just that the, the other... Minor factor, maybe not a minor factor. Is uh, uh, you know maybe the other best prospect is a guy named Ilya Shirokin, who's lighting it, lighting it up for the last couple of years in the KHL for uh, the Red Army team. Uh, he shares an agent with Bobrovsky and shares a hometown with Bobrovsky. Uh, Paul Siefanos represents them both. Uh, oh. shirokin has been, you know, he signed a long-term deal and We think is one more year beyond this year to go, but he's a guy that. over 26 he's a guy that uh has played pro for a long time and played at a high level so you know if you're committed to, to bob for seven years um is that a guy that's going to want to come here and show the net uh so again i think that's you know lou is familiarizing himself with with prospects like Sorokin, and maybe that's something that's kind of an x factor that we haven't really considered about their pursuit of a number one goalie so
0: right interesting Stuff, um, <clears throat> Arthur. Before we let you go, um, just uh, I'm curious about what you what you make of the Metropolitan Division. Where how do you how do you break things down as we do head into the the uh, second half of the season? You've uh, seen lots of the competition. I mean, is is this Islander team are they a are, are they a playoff team? Where how do you see it sort of sifting down with uh, Washington in the midst of a mid season swoon and Penguins doing their thing. What, how do you how do you see it shaking down? You know, it's, I, I kind of felt before the year that it was pretty wide
1: open. I, I didn't include the Islanders in that, but uh, but now that they are kind of pushing up towards the top, it it feels just as wide open as it did. I mean, I think there's a clear line of demarcation that uh, you know the Rangers and the Devils and the Flyers are kind of below the the water mark. Uh, Carolina kind of bubbling around it, and the other four. Are, are kind of a, the class of the division right now. And, you know, Pittsburgh bounced back from their struggles, and I'm sure Jim Murphy will be active in the next, uh, you know, six weeks until the deadline. Uh, and, you know, funny enough, Pierre, we were talking about PDO before we got on the air here, and the Islanders have been kind of called the, the, the unsustainable PDO darlings of the season so far, but they've consistently been behind Washington in that category all year long. So Right, uh, right. I mean, I mean, you know, obviously the Indians don't have guys like Ovechkin and Top end guys that Washington has. But it's interesting to me to see the style that Barry Cuts instilled in Washington in the last couple of years of shot quality over shot quantity uh, and how that's reflected mm. in their pretty high shooting percentage. And tried to do very much the same thing with a much less skilled team with the Islanders, and it's been working so far, which is surprising. Del I mean, Philpola scored the OT winner last night. That gives them, I believe, uh, eight, seven or eight, eight guys with 10 goals now. Uh, mm-hmm. barely halfway through the year, so they're they're spreading the wealth and they're you know they've got a lot of guys that have embraced that uh you know that that shoot for you know shoot for goals when you have a quality chance uh kind of uh mentality and uh it's interesting to see both of those teams kind of up there in that uh, in that p d o number and and uh one team the islanders kind of gets dismissed, and one team caps because of who they've got on the team and what their pedigree is. Uh, maybe people feel it's more sustainable without, but it's just interesting to me. And, you know, and obviously in Columbus, um, uh, super talented, but who knows if it can all hold together for these next few months. So I think there's a real opportunity for the Islanders here to, to not only steal a playoff spot, but maybe even get a, you know, get into that top two, get, get a, you know, start a series at home. That hasn't happened since 1990, uh, sorry, 1988 with this Islander team. They have not been the higher seed in the playoff series in 31 years, which is a crazy number. It uh, is crazy. I, I, so, well,
2: and it, Scotty wanted to let you go, Arthur, but sorry to interrupt. But I, I we, we have to get to DeVaris one last time because I was just <laughs> thinking after the Islanders and Leafs just played, if there was any way to have a crossover series between the two teams, and it would require <laughs> one team to finish quite higher than the other and, and to have a, obviously a wild card set up somehow. But uh, as you know, I wrote that piece where I interviewed Lou Amrello ahead of his return to Toronto last month. And uh, wow, the, uh, the comments section just lit up, as did Twitter, as you saw. And uh, it, it is quite unbelievable, uh, the, the level of, uh, what word would I use here? Help me out, Arthur. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 let's just say that even with the Islanders having this sublime surprise season, it has not tamed their anger. At, uh, at Tavares's exit, and and I must say, it, as you know, when you get to know John Tavares, you just can't believe what an amazing guy he is. Like it's it's so, you know. Sometimes I could see why things are derived at, at a certain athlete because of the way they handle themselves, but this guy is all class. And but I get it. I mean, the Islanders fans feel betrayed. I mean, it's it's one of those old natural uh,
1: emotions of sport, right? Yeah, and I and I, you know, John is uh, is a student of of the game and, and loves to talk about those kinds of things. I think he understood uh, at the time that it, obviously it was an agonizing decision for him as, as late as it went into July one. And, um, you know, I think he understood once the, once the euphoria of making that decision, the relief wore off that there were going to be some unhappy people down here. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I think when it comes to things like Twitter and social media, it's always, it's always uh you know maybe the the 1% of the fan base that's uh, a little too intense and uh, and crosses a line pretty regularly and i think that goes for all teams not just the islanders mm-hmm. um so you know i think in general it's uh when he comes down to play here and and both both games it's there's one at the end of february and there's one i think it's the last Home game of the regular season, both are going to be at the Nassau Coliseum, which uh, is awesome. Which is a little loud, <laughs> yeah. Which is a little louder and a little bit more passionate. Um, and I think the reception is not going to be great. Uh, but I, you know, my hope is that first night, everyone gets it out of their system. They vent as they vented to me uh, on July one, and for the days afterwards. And then on April first, I think it's April first. Uh, you know, maybe there can be a little bit of reconciliation, especially if both teams are headed for the playoffs. They're not headed for a playoff series with each other. Right, right at that. The following week, um, and maybe uh, the cooler heads will prevail, and people will will accept that uh, he made his decision. It uh, seemingly worked out well for both teams, if that's even possible to say, uh, mm-hmm. and people can appreciate the the decade that he spent on Long Island being the the face of a franchise that uh, that needed an anchor like him to, to get out of where they
0: were. Yeah, well said. Okay, now <clears throat> I am going to let you go, but but first I have. Has there been Arthur any kind of Confirmation or discussion about just what a you you talk about the possibility to to be the home team in the playoffs. So home a relative term for the Islanders. Has there been a discussion about what the Islanders would do vis-a-vis the home ice during the playoffs? Is there a chance that that uh, that there would be some home games at the Coliseum during the playoffs? Is it all only going to be at Barclays in Brooklyn, or has has the team sort of publicly broached that topic?
1: Now, for me personally, I would think that if you in this crazy situation, the Islanders are in, you should petition the league to be able to reveal the the site of the game, maybe like 12 hours before to really <laughs> <pull> your opponent. <laughs> a little off time. But, I'm, but I'm guessing that's not allowed. So I, my understanding is there the plan, you know, they had to have a plan in place, and I believe that plan is Barkley Center. Um, the, there's a number of reasons for it, but I think. There's a continuity reason from the start of the year, because when we started this season, you know, the Islanders were only going to play 12, you know, back in the summer, uh, the Islanders were only going to play 12 games. at uh, Nassau Coliseum, that moved up to 20, which is basically an even split. Um, they've only got three left uh, now at Barclays Center for the rest of this uh, this season. But I think uh, there's that aspect, and I think it's uh, it's a financial aspect. That, you know, Coliseum's not really outfitted to, to make a lot of uh lot of playoff revenue there's you know they've they've reduced the number of already small number of suites that were in there before um you know i think barclays is just better equipped and i and i imagine there'll be some unhappy fans because they get wanted to get used to being back on the island but also in 2016 uh when john taveras scored that ot goal in game six to beat the panthers barclays was as loud as the coliseum has ever been so i think uh you know i think and i i hope but i don't have to hope too much that uh the really passionate Islander fans, of which there are many, uh, will fill the building in Brooklyn no matter who they're they're playing against uh, as long as they're in the playoffs because uh, by then I think a lot of the fans will have have finally uh, moved on from Tavares and moved on from the the building stuff knowing that their future is on Long Island and they'll just be able to enjoy a team that
0: uh, no one thought would be anywhere near the postseason uh, if they get there. Yeah, mm-hmm. good stuff. All right, Arthur, tremendous stuff. I know that you probably got What I Am queued up on your uh, disk box iPod thing or whatever it is you listen to your music on and uh, do pass along our regards to Edie Brickall when you're out uh, slugging your garbage in your Tony neighborhood and uh, it's been a real treat to have you on two-man advantage let's uh, let's revisit this as we get closer to the playoffs it's a, it's a great story and uh, as always you've done a masterful job of covering it for the athletics so thanks for hanging out with us today it's been a, been a treat.
1: I'll have to research uh, some quality establishments that you like to frequent, either in Brooklyn or Long Island, for us to maybe maybe record a live one during uh, right before the playoffs begin.
0: Oh, count us in! <laughs> right on. All right, thanks, guys. All right, thanks, Arthur. That was, I, you know, uh, Pierre. Probably people know. Arthur has given me a a hard time over the years about my jukebox selection. So I'm looking forward to, you know, maybe connecting in person with him as as the playoffs uh, get closer and if the Islanders hang in there. So I think that's a good thing. But um, that was terrific to catch up. And Pierre, as always, I know you aren't going anywhere because we will return in the briefest of moments with the second segment of two man advantage, the podcast. So don't go away. All right, my friend, uh, let's uh, whip through the second segment here. I, I'm, I'm, I gotta tell you, I'm really looking forward to about a week from now, uh, give or take you and I will be in the same uh, physical location in San Jose for all star. And uh, we'll be taping two man advantage, Live, as it were, uh, just means we'll be sitting a lot closer than we normally do. And mm-hmm. I just before before we move on, I got a couple of things I want to run by you. Uh, certainly, Arthur mentioned uh, Sergey Bobrovsky. I'd like to get your take. You had an interesting piece uh, on him, um, but I want to just to go back to Barry Trotz for just a minute. And I wonder, you you and I were both uh, sitting in the uh, in the the uh, media area at uh, T-Mobile center after the Capitals won game five, when their first ever Stanley cup and, um, I wonder if you if you were worried for Barry Trotz. Not that it's our business to worry about him, but you know, to go from such an emotional situation in Washington last year, the last year of his contract, and you know, as the playoffs went along, it seemed very clear that that regardless of how it turned out, that he would be moving on. Even though it sounds so strange for a Stanley Cup winning coach to, you know, to be to be take changing jobs, but sometimes coaches who are emotionally invested over a long period of time. They seem to need a break and uh, you and I've talked about this in the past about John Tortorella and going to Vancouver very quickly and maybe, you know, did that maybe should he have taken some time to breathe and and I wondered if you felt the same thing about Barry Trotz because he signed very quickly his new deal with the Islanders and especially with Tavares leaving almost immediately after Barry took the job, you know, did you worry that it would what kind of what kind of situation it would be for him? Mm -hmm. Because he he's emotionally invested, he always is, and the good coaches are. And I wonder if If you, if you are surprised at that level of things, because he's really, you know, he's done a heck of a job there and uh, with the Islanders.
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess his situation is a little more unique. I mean, I worry about coaches who have been with the team for a long time who get fired and then take a new job right away because there's, there, there's a certain mental duress that comes from having your pride shattered by, by, by saying you're not good enough anymore. And, and then, if you turn around and start working right away, I feel like you carry that burden of I'm going to prove everyone right away. The one thing I'd say in this situation is that the guy won a cup, so that should alleviate some some of that duress. I mean, no matter what was <laughs> going to happen, no matter what was going to happen in his first year with the Islanders, uh, no one's going to begrudge him from not knowing what he's doing. So, I, I would say it's probably a little less stressful for him than what it would be for a quick turnaround for any other coach because usually comes after a real tough ending for that coach um and uh the other thing is a lot of coaches the end comes rather abruptly and and it's kind of a shock to the system whereas and you sat down with him during the playoffs he knew like barry trotz knew probably before the playoffs even began how things were going to play out so i think psychologically and it allows you to prepare prepares your family for what's ahead. And I mean, I wasn't the only one, but many of us reported during the Stanley cup final against Vegas that we thought the Islanders would be a player for him once the cup final was over. So there were hardly any secrets. And I think that probably helped the transition for him.
0: Yeah, no question. And I, I mean, honestly, if if they make the playoffs, whether they stay in the top three, whether they get home ice advantage, not, to me, if the if the Islanders make the playoffs, and, and your your point about Claude Julien and Montreal is, is a very good one. In fact, they have one more point than the Islanders and hold down the top wild card spot as we're as we're taping this. Um, and there are always lots of good. Uh, candidates, uh, Bill Peters in Calgary should get a lot of recognition there. Pete DeBoer in San Jose, um, but I, I, I just don't. To me, it's like, is it be an absolute no-brainer if that Islander team makes a playoffs? I just pencil in Barry Trotz right now. But it, anyway, that's me. So, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I, I think Barry Trotz is. I mean, are you are you wanting me to name the Jack Adams
2: winner now? Is that it? I'm just
0: saying, you know, to me, it's like last year at this point, everyone had, you know, because Vegas was so good, everyone said, well, Gerard Gallant is for sure going to be it, and I, you know, again, I. I'm not going to quibble with that. Jared Bednar did an amazing job in Colorado, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. I, I, and maybe this isn't exactly the same, but and especially with Buffalo sort of falling uh, as, we, as we're chatting now, they've fallen outside the playoff grid. And I think a lot of people looked at Phil Housley early when the Sabres were you know, challenging for first place in the Atlantic, that, that Phil Housley might have been that guy this year. but And maybe the same thing happens to the Islanders. But to me, that Islander team is, uh, my goodness, it's, it's on paper they're not they're not an imposing group and mm-hmm. here here they are some anyway I don't you don't No
2: no I do think I do think Barry Tross is the leader right now. I think Bill Peters is probably number two right there yeah. with Cole Julia I mean the, given the turnaround in Calgary. Um but again I, I, I mentioned this earlier and I, I have to double down on it. I think it's hilarious that I mean the Tampa Bay Lightning as we take Agreed. This, Yep. are 16 points ahead of the Toronto Maple Leafs in their division. And and is John Cooper even going to get a sniff at the Jack Adams? I mean, you and I don't I, vote on it. No, the broadcasters no don't, we don't. We can it, say that. It, 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 it's just, I don't know. It's one of the gripes I have with the award, that it, the award has become which team surprised the most. And yes. I get it, because if you surprise the most, that means you got excellent coaching. So so I get it. Yep. But how is John Cooper not ha- doing a great coaching job this year his team might have the most points in the salary cap
0: era yes I, and i think he you know what I, I think that i think he here's my guess right now is that there are two and maybe let's say for argument's sake the standings are what they are now to me it would be the three i i think you're right i think it would be uh, barry trotz i think it would be bill peters and i think john cooper gets in there too but i i think he has zero chance of winning even though he <laughs> will be 40 points ahead of the Islanders or whatever it is at the end of the season. So your point's a good one. Uh, let's move on. I want to, uh, you had an excellent piece on Sergei Bobrovsky this week in the athletic, basically talking about his no trade, no move. And, and this notion that did the incident um, that led to his being um, kept away from the team for a game. And, uh, um, and as our guy is Aaron Portsline, who was on last week, and others have reported it was stemmed from the fact that after being pulled in a game um, against Tampa, if I'm not mistaken, that he, sh- he changed, showered, and basically was unavailable for the balance of the game. Which is that's that's wrong, right? Like that's not that's not how you do it. And the team was upset. Obviously, John Tortorello was upset, and it led to um, to, to his Bob Rosky being kept away from the team for a game. So, again, I know it's, not, it's a long thing. I'm getting to it, though. And your piece talking about his situation as he heads towards possible free agency and whether this changes it. But as you wrote, he has been open from the beginning um, to exploring possible trades if, if it was something that worked for Bob Rosky and for the team. And I wonder, right. do you think this changes it? And, and, and I want to add a, a second layer to this. D- does all of this change? What his value is, if you're a team that's looking, whether it's at the, you know leading to the trade deadline or f- looking for future into July for as uh, as free agency uh, opens up, does all of this change how you view Sergei Bobrovsky and a player you might want to lock in for and whatever the term might be, five or six or seven years? Does this change that? Do you think?
2: No, it, no, because he just looks to me like a guy that that just needs a change of scenery and and i still think he's going to be a top five goalie in the world two-time vesna trophy winner for a reason yep. um but what's fascinating to me and, and i just it was one of those things where i just couldn't let go over last week because of the incident last week and i kept calling sources around the league to try and figure out if there was more to the story and finally I, obviously we stumbled upon it but because I think our assumption was that we didn't know if he would ever waive that he might just walk right into free agency and and really screw the Blue Jackets essentially. <laughs> right. But yeah. but as as I reported, it turns out in fact that uh you know through through his agent Paul Theofanis, I guess they they not only told the Blue Jackets last summer they weren't going to negotiate an extension, but they eventually provided a list of teams that they might waive to go to if if all things worked out. And I suspect part of that was. You know, perhaps signing an extension with that new team. I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, I can tell you this. My understanding is and the GM of the Blue Jackets, never phoned any of those teams, never acted on it, wanted Pobrowski to be part of this season. And that's his right. I mean, yeah. the Jackets are all in. They're they're currently tied for first place in the Metro. Uh, and, and I think it's it, 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 same with Panarin. I think that right now, and maybe this changes between now and February 25th, but right now I think the sense is let's try and finally have a playoff run and we'll deal with the rest later. Um, and so now, now here's the one thing I want to say. I'm just reading one of Aaron Porcelain's stories from training camp. As you remember, Brodsky made quite a eyebrow-raising comment on the eve of camp, and I'm going to read it here. This is on the eve of camp this, this past September.
0: Look at you doing research. Uh, I yes, love this.
2: He said, I quote, After last season, I told the situation to the management of the Blue Jackets so they know everything. They know my plans for the season. They know my plans for the future. They know everything. They know exactly what we're going to do. Now, at the time, most of us translated uh, that comment as to mean that, well, we're not signing, which, of course, is still true to this day. But we now know that what he was also saying is, we gave them a list of teams. <laughs> so, right. yeah. so it was even more involved than in that. And again, I understand why the Blue Jackets, uh, you know, I mean, the Blue Jackets, it's okay to commit to a season after everything they've put into building the team as it currently constitutes. It's a good hockey team. It's a team that was almost up 3 nothing on Washington last spring. And I think they made the call last summer that despite the, sh- the, the body blow that it was to not have Panarin and Bobrovsky sign extensions, that they would put all their eggs in one basket for this year. Um, the only thing I would ask you, I guess, would last week's incident give them pause for thought now if teams start calling again on Bobrovsky? Just in the sense of, you know, is this going to be an issue the rest of the year?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's, how does it, how does it not become an issue? And basically the guy, you know, and I, is it, is it an unforgivable act? I mean, maybe there are some people out there who go, well, big deal. Or he got yanked from a game. He wasn't going back in. So he went and he got cleaned up so he could get on the bus early or whatever it is. But you know what I I can, and, and certainly the reporting seems to suggest that this was not, you know, this wasn't, and you you had this right from the get-go. This was not a blow-up with John Tortorella and Sergei Bobrovsky specifically. This was a real, this struck at the heart of the team concept. And I, for me, what's been no, fascinating okay, is. Yeah, but hold on, Scotty. But, but yeah. that specific incident wasn't, but let's
2: not kid ourselves. There's oh, yeah. still a frayed relationship between Tortorella and Bobrovsky, as far as I can <laughs> yeah.
0: tell, like overall. Oh, yeah. I mean. Yeah, Well, I, I think there is, you know, and then you go back to the beginning. I mean, there's a guy who has been only ordinary in the playoffs the last two years, who, you know, was ordinary last year and was less than ordinary the year before. And basically has, you know, has, has wants no discussion about, doesn't publicly acknowledge that that's the case. So uh, to me, there's a gr- great disconnect on, you know, where he's been at with this team and his level of performance, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, to get back to your question, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. Because to me, the question has always been, regardless of how good Sergei Bobrovsky is during the regular season, as you know, he's a two-time Vezina winner. What can the Blue Jackets realistically expect from him in the playoffs? And I I, I don't know that anyone yeah. knows the answer to that. And But, you know, but I don't they, think it's me- fair. I
2: don't, I don't think it's fair just to put it on him. I think as a team, they've had guys struggle in the playoffs, too. Like, I yeah, okay. Just him. I mean, I, the goalie's always going to share a bigger...
1: Part oh, of the pie okay. on
2: that, um, right? But here, here's the problem for for Yarmolkevichlen, as I see it right now, I mean, I mean, if he was going to trade him, he he, he should have done it last summer.
0: The It'd problem be. now,
2: as I spoke to a, a team executive from another team yesterday, if you're interested in Sergei Bobrovsky, like let's just say, let we'll put a couple of teams out there. Let's but, say St. But, Louis. Let's say you're yeah. St. Louis. Right. Why would Doug Armstrong give up assets for Sergei Bobrovsky now, unless he thought Bobrovsky could save their season? And to be fair, they're not completely out of the Western race now suddenly because it's a turtle race in the West for the wild card. But right. it, it, if you're Doug Armstrong, why wouldn't you wait till July 1st and give up no assets to of get Sergey Borbowski? So I think that's one of the positions now that, that, that Columbus is in. And again, I don't think Columbus has ever had any intention of moving him. Let me double down on that. I, I honestly yeah. believe that Yarmo Kekaluna has never phoned a single team this year about him. Um, But I'm just saying, if he changes his mind now, you're going to run into that in terms of teams that just say, you know what, we'll just wait till July 1st. Secondly, even if he did find a trading partner for Sergei Verovsky before the 25th, and maybe he will, he then has to turn around and find another goalie. He can't just... I mean, this is a team that wants to win this year, and Corpus Salo has been a terrific story of late, but he needs needs a, you know, barring, you know, I, I know they're happy with some of the guys in the organization beneath too, but... He needs an experienced goalie to come in and, and help Corpi Sallow. So who's that guy? That's a separate yeah. trade. So right. uh, again, there's lots of time between now and February 25th. But but it's not just about whether or not he gets a really good offer for Sergei Bobrovsky. It's about the fact that he wants to win and he needs goaltending right yeah. now.
0: Well, it would, it would he, he and his management team would basically be uh, they would have some sleepless nights because there are. As you point out, lots of moving parts, right? So you're talking about finding a partner, moving Bobrovsky, getting appropriate assets, then making a deal for, let's, you know, whether it's Jimmy Howard or, you know, whoever it is to come in and fill that vacuum. So I'm, I'm with you. I, to me, the simplest thing is the status quo. And they've known, you know, they knew from the get go what the landscape was going to be. They didn't know they were going to have these kinds of public headaches, but. Yeah. I, I, I think you just, uh, my guess is my, if I had to guess, I said they maintain the status quo. And if, and if you're Yarmulkeke, to to me, you have to focus on, okay, how else can I, you know, is it a defensive depth add? Is it, you know, the trying to add down the middle to strengthen themselves for a potential first round playoff series against uh, Pittsburgh or Washington or possibly the Islanders, a team we've talked a lot about. So to me, that would be the focus as opposed to, my God, can I make f- three different deals to sort out this goal to anything? So I'm, I'm with right. you. And,
2: and, yeah, so, and I guess just to finish that point, though, Scott, the point I would make is I would not begrudge him at all for, for doing the status quo through the deadline now at this agreed. point. yeah. But, yeah I don't no, know, but, but, but I don't know if we won't look back after the season and wonder if he shouldn't have explored the trade market in the summer. Yeah. I guess that no, would, I would. No, I think might. that's fair. And I, I'm not saying we will but i think that might be the only thing that you look back and say was it worth
0: you know was it was it worth keeping him now that you know how it all played out who knows yeah, that was a good point. All right, I, and uh, I, the, just the one thing I wanted to touch on before we go, and you alluded to it, the eternal race in the Western Conference. I had to tell you, I, I look at the stands every day, and I, I, it's like the it's like lunch bag letdown every single day. And, in fact, I saw a uh, a press release come out from the uh, Anaheim Ducks the other day, and I was like, oh, my gosh, they—you know Bob Murray has done it. He has fired Randy Carlisle. And no, it was exactly the opposite. After another loss, uh, uh, Bob Murray came out with the unusual – for, and certainly for him, I think, because he's pretty you know he's a pretty closed guy publicly. And he came out and he said, basically, I know fans are upset, they have a right to be upset, but basically I'm not going to fire Randy Carlisle. I'd like my team to play better." And then he traded Andrew Cogliano to Dallas for Devon Shore, and of course, it didn't help because now having last after, you know the night before you and I are taping this, they went their 12th straight game without a win, uh, another loss, and yet. And this is my point. I'm getting to this now. As we speak now, that team winless in 12 straight games, two points of the playoffs. That, uh, yeah. Uh, that's and, a travesty.
2: And, and Colorado lost nine of 10, I think. I think and, it was and nine and of, not 10. Only, eight not of 10. Only, yeah. And not only are they in the playoff spot this morning. They're not even in a walk card. They're third in the. They're third they're in the third place. <laughs> it is. So the West is, I mean, the top of the West is fantastic. I mean, Calgary, San yeah. Jose, and Vegas are three juggernauts in the Pacific. And obviously, Winnipeg is Nashville is advertised in the Central. But yeah. after those five teams, oh my goodness, who knows it's what a, we're getting? And, 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 you know, there's a seven point difference between the last playoff spot in the East and West right now. That's. That is remarkable. Like That is a a, a real difference. I mean, what does seven points translate to by the end of the year between the East and the West for the last playoff spot? 12 points? I don't know. Yeah, it's huge. Um, So, so it it is crazy. It's allowed teams like uh, Edmonton and and Vancouver and even St. Louis, which seemingly was white flagging it three weeks ago in terms of, you know, teams phoning and trying to vulture players. And uh, it's crazy. Yeah, so... Um, you know, I, I, and, and I think what it really tells you, and it's similar to last year when Tampa really, I mean, listen, I say this all respect to the Devils, and the Devils were a great story last year. Taylor Hall won the art trophy, but the, there was such a cherry on the Sunday for Tampa Bay to win the Atlantic last year over Boston and Toronto because they caked walked over New Jersey while Boston and Toronto had to slug it out over seven. Same thing will, will hold true here for whoever wins the Central, whoever wins the Pacific, it'll be worth it. Because I think getting one of those wildcard teams instead of having to battle, uh, I mean, to have a much tougher battle, especially in the Pacific, right? I mean, if you're Calgary and you win the, and, and you avoid San Jose or Vegas in the first round. That, that that's that's a big deal. It's huge. Or, or,
0: it is yeah, huge. So so that's going to be a big storyline. Yeah. Okay. Just before I get how how much does this change heading into the trade deadline period though? And as you mentioned, okay. So you uh, Edmonton, Vancouver, Anaheim. They all have forty-seven points, so they're two points back of the of Minnesota in the second wild card spot as we speak. St. Louis fired their coach team is in disarray um but they've got the rookie goaltender up now they've they they're starting to to play i mean they're not like let's not overstate it right they're still not a very good team but they are starting to play a little bit more like we thought they would they're just four points out of uh the last wild cards. With, with, game with, with games in hand on everyone yeah Yeah, exactly. So do do you think this changes then, you know, because the East, there are the six sellers, right, or whatever that number is now, you just look at the state and you go, okay, Jersey will sell, Florida will sell, go on down the list, you know, uh, um, New the Rangers are going to sell. So you know, you could look at the marketplace shaping up in the East because it's that, as you point out, the standings are a little bit more defined. But here, you're like, well, if you're if you're Doug Armstrong, and with lots of rumors about he might be willing to move anyone, including guys like Tarasenko and Alex Petrangelo's names out there, all those things, do you suddenly look at it. Or Bob Murray, who's made a hockey deal the other day, but you're like, okay, well, if we have a good week of play, we're going to be in the playoffs, and. There you go. Who knows? So does it change, do you think? It, I I, think,
2: like, for example, if we go to St. Louis, some of the conversations that Doug Armstrong will have had over the last month about some of his guys that teams are calling about, um, those are things that can wait till the off season anyway. Like, like yeah. if he needs to, like, it's not like, like if people are making mega offers for, for Tarasenko or, or making offers on Braden Shen or, or you know, Colton Pareko or Alex Petrangelo, none of those guys are UFA July 1st. So so the Blues don't have to act on any the of them unless they think that offer won't be nearly as good after the season. right? So so the Blues really don't have a gun to their head on any of that stuff. They, they can really... I mean, you know, they've got a couple of UFAs but but none of their core guys. So I, I don't think it changes much other than maybe they put pause in some of that and, and, and reconvene in the summer on whether they want to rejig their team again. I think for the Ducks, I, I mean, I, I wrote this, but I mean, uh, Jacob Silver Jakob Silverberg is mm-hmm. the most preeminent potential trade uh, target for other teams because he's a pending UFA, unless he resigns, of course. Now Bob Murray has publicly said this week he wants to try and sign him. He really likes the player, but I don't care if they're in a playoff spot or not. Come February 25th, if Silverberg isn't signed, I think he deals him. Right, like I, like they're just not an organization that sits back and says we can lose a guy for nothing July 1st. Uh, that, that's just not going to cut it with them. So I think Silverberg knows that. So so that's one of those where, you know, whether they're four points up or four points out, it won't affect his status. He needs to sign or not. Right.
0: But Edmonton's a team that I think is where, it, at least if, you know, the, the, the buzz out there is that Peter Shirelli I mean, they're two points out as well, right? Two points out and desperate to make the playoffs, right? I mean, you got Connor. you got the best player in the world on, you know, by lots of standards in Connor McDavid and looking at missing the playoffs for what a third of his four years in the NHL. So the desperation there. So like Edmonton hanging around, um, they look like a team that would wants to add very badly. I mean, do you Big think time. that's fair as well?
2: Yeah, yeah, so. yeah they, uh, the Oilers have to make the playoffs. There's incredible urgency throughout that organization that it's simply unacceptable to miss out again after they made it two years ago, accepted the step back last year to some degree, although with great angst. But if they miss out two years in a row, there's going to be more change there at Edmonton, no question yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah,
0: Good stuff. All right. As always, my friend, a terrific uh, time catching up, and again, look forward to next week meeting in person in San Jose and sharing a jukebox or two with you. And oh, uh,
2: baby, our our, our next our next two man advantage podcast will be uh, with you and I uh, staring across the table
0: at each other. All right, my friend, looking forward to it. Uh, And uh, travel safely. We'll see you next week. But uh, as uh, as always, good work and good to catch up. Talk to you soon.